Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. As you find your seat, let's pray together. Our God, we pray. We pray now that you would meet with us and renew and restore in us a confidence that if we are in Christ, we are yours. That if we are in Christ, your love shapes your tender disposition toward us. That if we are in Christ, nothing will snatch us out of your hand. That if we are in Christ, you will lead us through this world every step of the way. And we trust that your leadership is both good and honoring to you. And that your leadership will draw us closer to you. So, Lord, our prayer today is that you would draw us closer to you. Our prayer today is you would overwhelm us with the goodness and the kindness that you have poured on us through your son, Jesus. Our prayer today is that what we celebrated in baptism a few minutes ago would reverberate through this room as as other people meet Christ and fill Feel his spirit and our move to repentance and faith. Lord, would you do these things today? We plead in the name of Jesus. Help us, O oh God, we pray now. Amen. All right, friends, thanks for being with us this morning. It's so good to see you all. Um, friends and family of the Robuses, John, apologize for your presence. Let me just say, I'm glad you're here. And me and John will just have to disagree on that, okay? Thank you. We're very glad to have you. Also notice that Dan sought to alleviate space issues by inviting half the congregation to be on the stage today. And that was great, too. The team did a great job. We're thankful for that. 
If you haven't done so already, take a Bible. As Austin told you earlier, there are some under the seat in front of you if you didn't bring one. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 27, um, where Sam just read for us. We are working our way through the book of Matthew. And so today's sermon is entitled Condemned. And we're in this piece in the middle of chapter 27 where Jesus is on trial. Now, as we dive in, let me, let me see if I can summarize where we're headed. So one of the things I do... Um, in my non-work life is I, I help coach a baseball team. And so the other day, me and three men who, who help coach the team are standing in a circle, and I think I'm the only one there who goes to church. And one of them says, what are you preaching about on Sunday? Which is a very uncomfortable question because it's like, do you want me to tell you or is that just like, hey, what's up, right? Like, I don't, I'm not sure what to do with this. So I said, well, oh, and I don't, in that setting, I don't know that saying Matthew 27 is going to have much meaning. So I said, well, I'm preaching about the trial of Jesus. And one of my friends goes, man, that's so easy. He's guilty. I was like, well, eh, no, like, he's, he's not. He didn't, you know. And he goes, no, no, you're really overcomplicating it. He said he was the Christ. He was the Christ. He's guilty. He died. Make it simple. Okay. I just got mansplained. <laughs> but that works. That works. So I'm going to take about 35 minutes to convince you that Jesus committed no sin and he was guilty because he said the truth. I am the Savior of the world. I am the Christ. I am the one you have longed for. And that claim will result in his death. Which if you haven't gotten anything out of Matthew, here it is. The death of Jesus, while horrific, is a gift to sinful people. It's the only way forward for us. It's our only hope, is that Christ took our sin upon himself. Let's look at the passage together. As I said, today's sermon is entitled, Condemned. Uh, if you want to take notes this morning, the first point is declared guilty. Declared guilty. This is, there, so running throughout our passage, verses 15 through 31, we see this strange reality playing out. They don't have anything to blame Jesus for. There, there really is no charge that sticks. The Jews have brought him to the government, to the Romans, because the Jews in the Roman system weren't allowed to execute the death penalty. So they brought him to the Romans because they want him crucified. Pilate's the governor, and what we see is he's not finding anything that makes Jesus guilty of Guilty and worthy of crucifixion. Look at verse 23. What evil has he done? I mean, in general, like we all love our, our crime and law dramas a little too much. But in general, if you get the judge saying what evil has the defendant done, like you're feeling good about your outcomes, right? So Pilate's looking at this and he's saying, I don't see the evil that he's done. Pilate's wife, we're told, 
told him, I've been having tormenting dreams all day about this righteous man. Don't have anything to do with him. That's verse 19. So Pilate decides to, find, to try to find an easy out. He says, look, at the feast every year, I free a prisoner. So would you like me to free Jesus, who is called the Christ, or Barabbas? And the people shout, Barabbas. Pilate goes so far as to say, again, which of the two do you want me to release? This is verse 21. And they said, Barabbas. And he says, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they say, let him be crucified. So Pilate says this, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourself. So basically, Pilate's saying, I'm gonna give you what you want, but I don't see why you want what you want. And some of us may be listening here today going like, what's the big deal in all of this trial piece, okay? Here's the big deal. If Jesus was an evil criminal, if Jesus was a sinful sinner like all the rest of us, then his death would have been deserved and it would have accomplished nothing for us. So the Lord in his providence is going out of his way to tell this story to make it very clear that the Jews, last week's sermon, had an open hearing and no charges stuck. Pilate had a public hearing and no charges stuck. The reality is Jesus was not another evil criminal. And Jesus was not another sinful sinner. These important facts undergird and give life to the claim that he was the Son of God, to the claim that he was the Christ, to the claim that he was the Messiah. And so the story moves forward. Pilate gives him over to crucifixion. Verse 27, we see the soldiers take Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They mock him. They beat him. They laugh at him. They shame him. They make fun of him by shouting, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him. They strike him. Then they dressed him for crucifixion. So our story ends with Jesus taking shame, taking derision, taking laughing, taking mockery, taking beating, and taking a path toward the cross. The second important thing for us to notice here is what's the driving accusation that's pushing all of this forward? It's noted all throughout Matthew 27. King of the Jews. 
See, this is where my friend was right. Jesus is going to the cross for claiming to be the, the Redeemer and the Messiah and the Deliverer and the one who reigns over God's people. That claim is what drove to his crucifixion. So Jesus, the Son of God, stands up in these two public trials and no charges stick. And so he is sent to crucifixion under the banner, Hail, King of the Jews. So Jesus is declared guilty and of claiming to be the king of the Jews and the crucifixion, which was his intent and purpose all along, is moving forward, is moving forward. Okay, now I want to do a little forward looking, okay? I'm going to assume that all of you won't be back here next week as much as we'd love all of you to be back here next week. I don't think John's letting his family come back, so you got that. And Anyway, um, let's do a little looking forward. As we read through the crucifixion story, what I would love for us to see in it is the horror of it. Like to see what Christ endured. Because seeing what Christ endured shows us the evil and the depth of sinfulness. But I also want us to see that this isn't a tragedy in the sense of it ought to have been otherwise. But Christ is moving into the horrors of the cross to fulfill his plan to redeem his people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. So as we, as we move forward through this crucifixion story, let's, let's feel the weight of what Christ has endured. But let's also understand that Christ was enduring what God had planned to bring about his purposes of redeeming a people. So often we preachers say something that sounds really churchy like this. We ought to be overwhelmed with joy in the gospel. And a lot of us are like, whatever. That means nothing to me. Well, here's what that means. See the depths that Christ entered into so that we would be freed from those depths, loved, forgiven, welcomed, accepted, and called the children of God. That's what that really churchy statement means. So over the next few weeks, what I'm praying the Lord begins to do, even now as we say Jesus is facing crucifixion, what I'm praying is that the Lord would help us see the depths of sin and how Christ is our only hope of freedom from there. So before we move on, let me just be really explicit. It's a great sermon day for a baptism. What this really drives forward is this. It's sin that pushes the Son of God to crucifixion. Not his sin, but ours. And so for some of us in this room who, don't, who are far from the Lord, maybe we reject the Lord, maybe we've walked away from the church, what I would pray for us today is that Jesus, th- 
through this passage, through the rest of Matthew, would show us how much we need to be redeemed, which is taken out of a horrible place and brought into the family of God. I'm praying that some of us who are Christ followers, who are perhaps stuck in a pattern of sin or a pattern of hard-heartedness or a pattern of apathy, would be reminded the depths to which Christ went to redeem us and that that would spur us forward. So we see here Christ has been declared guilty. Christ is moving toward crucifixion. And while this is horrific on one level, it's saving and glorifying and good and helpful on another level. Second point, rejected explicitly. Rejected explicitly. The theme running through this passage is God's people, the Jews of that day, have explicitly, repeatedly, and routinely rejected Jesus. Let me say that one more time. The people of God, the Jews in this day, have repeatedly, thoroughly, consistently rejected Jesus. And I believe that's why there's so many layers that the gospel writers are laying down here. So first of all, we get to verse 15 because the Jews gave Jesus over and said, this man deserves to be crucified. Then we see Pilate, the governor, says, well, I usually let somebody go. So do you mean to let Barabbas go or Jesus? What do the people shout? Barabbas. Now, Paul goes, a, I mean, I'm sorry, Matthew goes a little farther, though. He says they shouted Barabbas because they were stirred up, this is verse 20, by the chief priest and by the elders and persuaded to ask for Barabbas. So the leaders of the people are not sitting back and going, oh, no, 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 this is a mistake. Rather, they're saying, go to, Bar we, we want Barabbas. We need Jesus killed. He's a problem. So, I mean, just think about layers of culpability and guilt here. Chief priests rejected him. Elders rejected him. Minimally, without getting lost in first century Judaism, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders were intended to lead God's people to follow the Lord. They're rejecting him. The crowds, they reject him. Shouting, let him be crucified. Now, let's look really carefully at verse, verse 24 through 26. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Now, a little side note, washing your hands in public doesn't actually make you innocent of something evil that you've done. Let's just let's clarify that. But Pilate is publicly saying, like, I, 
I don't see what you're upset about. Verse 25, and all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. So the crowd was so worked up, so opposed to the claims and the teaching of Jesus that they say, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Yeah, his blood's not on your hands. We'll take it. We'll take the guilt, uh, if there is any, of what we're doing on us and our descendants. So then Pilate released Barabbas, had Jesus scourged, and delivered him to be crucified. So what we see here is the people who were, humanly speaking, most prepared, most knowledgeable, having the most truth and all the true scripture, who would have prepared them to see Christ as their king, have thoroughly rejected him. Thoroughly and explicitly and routinely rejected him. What do we take from this? Well, please, please, please don't turn it into a down with Judaism kind of spin. Please, please, please don't turn it into a, well, we would have done otherwise kind of spin. I think what we take from this is One, we see that God's scriptures are fulfilled. Think of Isaiah 52 and 53 as one. Jesus was despised and rejected. The people rejected him. Two, we take from this that Jew and Gentile alike need... Christ. We take from this that that Jew and Gentile alike need the redemption of Jesus. And third, maybe this is most apropos and probably the least comfortable of anything I'm saying this morning. We take from this that being immersed in a religious community doesn't mean that you see receive and worship the Lord as he desires. I'm glad you're all at church here this morning, but you can be in this room and still miss Jesus. I'm glad that many of you are faithful members of this congregation. I have a list up here. Like we're going to welcome a whole bunch more members here in just a minute. I'm thankful for that, but you can be a member of this congregation and still somehow miss Jesus. You can go to seminary, you can be a pastor, you can know the you can memorize the whole New Testament, 
You can recite the whole book of Galatians daily on your commute and somehow still miss the Savior. So I'm not trying to shame anyone. I'm not trying to cultivate a revival as much as I'm saying. If the Jews at the Passover can so resoundingly miss their Redeemer. It's possible for all of us. So our prayer is this. Lord, please help us all know Christ. Help us all entrust ourselves to Jesus so much so that we will follow him everywhere he leads us. There are those horrifying stories where Jesus tells of on the last day, telling people to depart for he never knew them. No in the scripture is a word of relationship and a word of intimacy not defined by our culture but defined by King James English and it's a word of I know Christ, I believe in Christ, I worship Christ, I love what Christ has done for me and I want to honor Christ with my life and so I am praying for me and my family and our church that that we not be those who wake up one day and find ourselves rejecting the king. But rather, we cling to him and we serve him and we follow him and we walk with him. So our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words and as much as what's been said this morning is true and faithful to your scripture and right and good, Would you work it into us deeply? Would you cause us to to love you and to walk in your ways? Where necessary, where needed, O Lord, would you bring salvation this day? Where needed, would you bring um, breakthrough and a movement forward away from rebellion and toward you this day? Help us to trust you, O God, we pray in Jesus' name.